0: Well, I guess you can't stop talking if I'm not up here, so I'm glad that you have made a new friend, hopefully, and uh, just so glad that you're here today. I, I did something that uh, people warned me that I shouldn't do. This, don't worry, this isn't like awkward pastor confession in front of everyone time. But I, I, I looked up the hashtag blessed online, on Instagram and Twitter. I don't recommend it, but someone told me that they did that, and they, they, they didn't recommend it, and so finally curiosity got the best of me. So I went and looked. And just if you want to know, so that you don't have to do this, uh, according to Twitter, it seems like blessed has something to do with getting multiple offers to colleges, because there was lots of those. My 11th offer to college, hashtag blessed. Good for you. Uh, or which sports team won? Or which sports team got a great draft pick? Hashtag on Twitter for blessed would be that you have a great relationship, which probably means romantic, or that you're just having a fabulous birthday. I did, I did find one um, person on Twitter that had like over 5,000 shares that was, my mom beat cancer. Hashtag blessed. So now, uh, since some of you might be visual, you know, here's what we found on Instagram for what being blessed means it means you're not lucky, it also means uh, that you get to wade in the ocean. So, hashtag blessed. I just, it's not blessed if you're drooping, it's just blessed if you've got great shoulder blades. Uh I know, right? I, I took the names off for tech people. It means that you purchased a boat, because who doesn't think a boat means that you've been blessed? And um, or that you won a race after coming back from an injury. And that you're really special. So that's what hash I did I did find a few, actually I found several. Hashtag blessed on Instagram—that meant you either had a great body, great muscles, or were having a baby. But I thought those would be a little distracting to us, so uh, I didn't put any of those up there. <laughs> but the reason that I actually went and looked was because uh, the last couple of weeks I've really actually been curious about what does it mean to say that we're blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed by God. Or in the story that we'll read, Jesus blesses children. What did that mean? So I, I, what I found out is that God's hashtag for blessing is very different from what we think. And actually, if we understood it, I think it would transform our life. So let's go. We've been in a series called, I Want to Believe But, where we've been looking at this continual invitation that Jesus gives us to believe, to trust in him, but there are things that challenge that believing for us, especially as we grow older, as we grow up, as we um, have more life experience. So we've looked at faith and doubt, how doubt is actually not something that God freaks out at. We can actually just bring it to him. We've looked at faith and truth, this idea that we can believe in Jesus and have a humble confidence in sharing that belief with others. We've looked at faith and hypocrisy and how we can continue to come to Jesus and to believe in him even when we sin, even when we have shame, even when stuff gets in our way. And next week, we'll look at faith and time in this idea of counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus even when it seems like our life is too full. So today, though, we are talking about faith and things, the stuff that gets in the way. And I pray that we would not only read the word today, but hear the word and actually respond to it. So we're in Mark 10. If you have a Bible, you'll want to open there. If you need one, we have some in the back, or you can use your phone. No one will judge you unless you're, start, unless you're hashtagging blessed. Then, then we might laugh at you. Ah, Mark 10, we're going to start in verse 13. Mark tells us that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them, and when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come, come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Never. And he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, in this story... Jesus isn't indignant because someone has a hashtag of blessed and what it means, but in a similar way, little children were being brought up to Jesus for him to bless. What did that mean? Because it's not like when you bring your kid to the mall to get a picture with the Santa guy. It's not that. But as I sat and thought about it, my picture of what it meant for Jesus to bless the children looked very similar. Maybe you've seen, maybe you've been to the Vatican or seen um, holiday specials where the Pope is in the area of the Vatican and people want to be touched by him. and, And that is what it means to be blessed. But actually, that's not it either. See, all throughout the Bible, when people were blessed something happened, something changed. When, In the Old Testament, when people would receive a blessing, they would kneel for that blessing. And when God blessed them, their names were often changed, their destinies were changed, and really, truly, their lives were transformed. So this idea of blessing goes way beyond stuff, way beyond a touch from Jesus. But the disciples were saying, no, 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 that's not how you do it. So they were either rebuking the little children, or likely these were very little children, so they were rebuking the parents. And Jesus is adamant that they are the ones in the wrong. And it continues. And these writers are crafty. Like, they could have written it lots of different ways, but... This story comes immediately after, and as Jesus started on his way, a man raced up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're someone who's paying attention, you should circle kneeling or highlight kneeling. It's okay to write in your Bible, but I would, I would encourage you to, to circle that word or highlight that word or somehow remember that word, that after Jesus, people were bringing little children to Jesus and asking him to bless them, that then this man comes up and kneels before Jesus. We should think to ourselves, wait a second, if people always kneel to receive a blessing in the Bible, and this man comes and kneels before Jesus, what should follow? Anyone want to throw it out? Bless, will you bless me? Hashtag blessing. Will you bless me? But that's not what he asks. He asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's part of why I think Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because blessing flows from the more powerful to the less powerful. So potentially, he is correct in seeing Jesus as more powerful. He is correct in kneeling, but he gets the question wrong. Now, one way that a couple of us were sitting around and reading scripture together and saying, hey, the sounds of the symphony is better than the solo. So, in the same way as you just did, again, Jesus says, when he continues, Jesus says, verse 19, you know the commandments, you shall not murder You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud or cheat, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declares, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, take a look at those verses and what do you notice about those commandments that Jesus actually gives? This is the sound of the symphony part where you can shout it out because you might know something better than I do. They sound like works. They sound like the Ten Commandments. Oh, they all have knots. They're missing some of the commandments. Yeah, let's actually put the Ten Commandments up. These are a tad paraphrased to fit on the screen, but... I do believe, are the essence of the commandments. So do you notice any of the commandments in that verse, verse 22, and the ones that are on there? He missed. Did you catch that? He, these are the ones that apply to other people. So which ones are missing? The ones that apply to God. Any others? Uh, Yep, no idol making. No Sabbath. That would also apply to God, I would say. Mm. Except for, which one does he not mention that goes towards other people? What was that? Coveting, isn't that interesting? I think we should always look for things that are missing. Like when we read this and go, "Well, why did he pick those?" Don't worry, I missed it the first four, seven times two. But as I as I spend a little longer on it, I'm like, "Okay, I know there's a reason that he." And first, I thought it was exactly what Ray said: "Of oh, he skipped all the ones that don't that are applying directly to God, but he skips the last one. He skipped coveting." But what kind of a person is this according to the text? How is he described? He's rich ruler. So I would take ruler to mean high status job or probably high paying job. And the text tells us he's rich. Maybe Jesus doesn't include coveting because he doesn't have to covet because the moment he wants something that he sees that someone else has, he just goes and buys it. I, I don't think that ever happens now. <laughs> Do you know advertising executives, at least the ones that I've talked to, are, actually say that they are supposed to make people feel insecure or discontent because insecure, discontent people buy more stuff. But he doesn't include coveting. And I have to believe it's part of that reason of, well, he thinks he has what he needs. So actually, I think his answer is very true. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy there's a very good chance that that is a true statement. And yet, Jesus looked at him and what does it say in verse 21? He looked at him and scoffed. He looked at him and was like, you're just another rich, snobby person. He looked at him and he loved him. Now, at first I thought, oh, it's Jesus. He just loves everyone, so then it doesn't count. It's like when I try to compliment my kids. They're my, you're my dad, you have to say that. You look nice today, honey. And I didn't look nice yesterday. Um, he looked at him and loved him. Maybe that this rich, young ruler was actually a very practical, down-to-earth kind, generous, rich person, the kind that are easy to love, who happen to have maybe a high-status job or a lot of money. But he says, one thing you lack. Now, I imagine in any other capacity of his life, if he was told, there's one thing you lack, he could probably go, oh, I can get that. I mean, he's young. You remember, if if you're older than me, remember when you were young and you had all that extra energy, like, oh, there's this thing. Oh, I can go get that. I can go accomplish that. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, I really have to weigh like the time that it's going to take to do that and the effort, and can I spend enough time on my knees like that? And all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, I don't know. There's one thing you lack. He's probably on edge. Tell me, what is it? Go sell everything you own. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. I would, I, like, if you circled Neil, I would circle looked and loved. Because Jesus did not say this because he was angry. He did not say this because he was anxious. He did not say this because he didn't like the man. He said this because this is tied to blessing. Don't we come to church because we want to be blessed? Don't we come because we want to be changed? We want to hear From God, we want our life to be different. We know that we have things in our life that don't always work and so we actually are coming for answers and what do we do when they're not something that we expect? There's one thing you lack. Oh yeah, what is it? Oh that. The man at this, verse 22, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. There's a little discrepancy in the text. The Greek word they use means possession. So was it about money or was it about stuff or was it about, you know, things? Yes. Yep. He had lots of stuff. He had great wealth. And yet... This is the end of this man's story. As far as we know it, we're not given anything else in the text. We don't hear anything else from him. He made his choice about God's kingdom and walked away. And I don't think we can condemn him at all. Jesus says, wide is the way to separation with God and many follow it and narrow is the way to the kingdom of God and few find it I think this question asks us three questions that really need to cause us to pause and reflect on our life if we want to be blessed, if we want to be changed, if we want to live different. And the first is we have to ask, why is it so easy to miss the invitation? Why is it so easy to miss the invitation to God's kingdom? Because this man hears it and is, I believe, on the edge of his seat, and then he walks away and he missed it. I think we miss it all the time. I think Jesus knows that we miss it, and that's why he gives it to us. I, I would offer the answer, one of the answers for why it's so easy to miss, is we think distractions are harmless, in Mark earlier, in chapter 4, Jesus is telling his first parable. He's talking about a farmer that goes and sows seeds. He's, he's just sowing seeds. And it, you know, throws them out, puts as many on the ground as he can. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that, like a farmer sowing seeds. And in uh, Mark 4, it says that some fell along the path and the birds came and ate them. Some fell in rocky places where there was shallow soil. So when the plants sprung up, they were scorched, and they withered because they had no root when the sun beat down on them. Others fell among the thorns, and when they grew up, the thorns choked the plants, and they did not bear fruit and, or bear grain. And then still other seed fell in good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop 30, 60, even 100-fold. This is the first parable Jesus tells them. His disciples scratch their head, which they do a lot. So if you're like, I'm confused, I don't get it. Well, they actually get the explanation for this parable. I want to focus on one piece uh, from verse 18 that talks about these distractions that we think are harmless. It's the seed that falls among the thorns. People who hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think we get distracted by the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. Worry, wealth, want. Like I said, insecure or discontent people buy more stuff. So is it bad to have stuff? Is Jesus saying money's bad? No, he's not saying money's bad. And it's okay to have stuff as long as it doesn't have you. Don't let your possessions possess you. Maybe you've heard that one before. So is a new car bad? No, a new car is not bad. A new car can be quite fun. But if you're all of a sudden completely stressed out about making the payments for the new car, you've just added worry to your life. Or if you got that new car and you're not concerned about making payments, but you spend twice as much time washing it, waxing it, drying it, vacuuming it out well now you've just lost time that you used to have before or if you get a new car and it makes you yell at your neighbor kids or just yell at your own kids because they touched it breathed on it or otherwise looked at it in a bad way now you've just let a beast out in you and I'm going to counseling for it (laughs) my kids are like I don't touch the car why I don't know that's just what I was taught Is a new car bad? No. But there's a deeper answer. One thing you lack. One thing you lack, Jesus says, as he looks at him with love. Uh, The personal application would be to say, hey, what distractions are in your life that you don't think are harmless? And do you have people around you that can see what you don't see? And can you focus on the things that you've already said yes to? It's how the Holy Spirit's working in my life on this one. And I think as a church, it's the same way. Are we focused on the things that God is saying to us? Yes, do this. As we go into our vision meeting in a little bit, we'll talk about the things that we think God is saying yes to us to do. And our job is to focus on those things and not get distracted. Because when we get distracted, we get choked out. That's what... I think the connection is. But the second piece, the second question, is this reality that it's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult to enter. What makes it so difficult? Well, this man walked away from it because he had great possessions. And Jesus turns and looks at his disciples in verse 23, and he says to them, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This is an exclamation to them, not a question to them. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Actually, he doesn't even say rich this time. He just says, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom? It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I think it's easy for us to get really distracted by, ooh, the camel and the eye of the needle. And did Jesus really mean that? Yep, he really meant it was hard. Don't get distracted by that. It's difficult because wealth is deceitful. He's already talked about that. Wealth misleads us and it promises something that it really can't deliver. It silently calls out to us and says, you know, if you trust in me, I will make you secure. I promise safety, comfort, control. I've got my remote, my feet are up, now I can relax after a hard day. Or when days are hard, do I say, Oh God, you're the only one who can bring me comfort? You're the only one who can bring security. We want to be transformed. We want to experience God. But we forget that the price is expensive, it's costly. And this isn't about how much money we have. I think. This, this money just gives us any kind of wealth, gives us this false sense of security and it dulls our dependence on God because we've been trained to think that independence is maturity. And some of that's good. Like, can you brush your own teeth and floss you know, without having to be reminded? Can you clean the toilet? Can you, you know, buy food when the cupboard's empty? These are good things, but you know, God wants far more for him, us and for us. And it doesn't mean that all independence is maturity. Because Jesus has just said something about little children. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people who find it like little children. Those are people that have an inherent trust. See, we imagine that if we had more wealth, I shouldn't say we, I imagine that if I had more money, that life would be easier. And I think other people do too. Independence is not maturity. And when the rich young ruler says, I've kept all these as a boy, I can't help but think, does he want to hear Jesus say, good job? Way to go. You're awesome. I think some of us want to hear that. I think a lot of us want to hear that even from Jesus. And I don't think you have to have wealth or even want wealth to be seduced by it. Because my guess is most of us don't think that we're rich. And that's not going to try and make you feel guilty. I just was reading some psychological stuff on it. And see, once we get a house or live in a particular neighborhood we start to connect with the people around us and the people who live near us usually have a similar socioeconomic bracket so they look kind of like us and we start looking at the world around us and we usually compare ourselves to the people have just a little bit more so then we don't think we're rich because well look at how much they have so we miss what the rest of the world has And like two-thirds of the world or more lives on less than $2 a day. And many of these people are joyful, happy, have found the kingdom of God. Again, I'm not saying it to to make you feel guilty. I just think the human heart has been comparing our wealth, our possessions, and even our offerings since Cain and Abel. Yet even when you get everything you desire, you discover that it's not the answer. Take a look at this clip from 60 Minutes that they did in 2005 on a fairly well-known quarterback named Tom Brady. That was in 2005. He had three Super Bowl rings. Now with a record five Super Bowl rings, four Super Bowl MVP awards, and two NFL MVP awards. I think it's still highly possible that Mr. Brady would have the same answer. Because we all have this God shaped space that only God can fill. If we're created in His image, nothing else we desire will fill it. Even if it's costly, we have to consider that that's why it's so difficult. Now, I think Jesus gives us the key to understanding this story, not only this story, but our story in one word. It's children. Why would he put this story about little children coming to Jesus and asking them to bless and for the disciples to be rebuked? It just doesn't seem to make any sense unless there's some key either before and after it that connects the two. And Jesus says to his disciples after he's already talking to them, he stops and he says, children. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? That in lies the key, because what do children, like little children, what do little children worry about? Toys. They worry about food. (laughs) Some children do worry about starving in the world, but not too many around us. Pretty sure they don't worry about what they wear. Sometimes they, yeah, yep, <laughs> they are sinners. <laughs> they don't. They don't worry about much. They don't, most kids that are little don't worry about where they're going to sleep, what they're going to wear, or what they're going to eat. Remember, Jesus has some sharp words. He says, Oh, it's the pagans who run after what they wear and worry about what they're going to eat and how much they have. The little children understand the kingdom. They did in the first story. Jesus is connecting it to the second story and saying to his disciples, Children, not out of anger, out of compassion. He looked at them and loved them too. This is what it means to enter the kingdom of God. We have to be dependent like little children. We have to trust that God is going to provide for us. We want to be blessed, right? But often we think that blessed means more stuff or more money because then I can trust in that stuff or I can find satisfaction in that stuff. And God isn't against it. We can enjoy stuff, but not at the expense of depending on God, of trusting him, of asking for him to be what we need. We want to be changed and this guy wants to be changed too. He wants to experience salvation. He wants eternal life. Do you know how he's going to get it? Jesus tells him because he looks at him and loves him and wants him to experience it too. You have so much, rich young ruler, you have so much, you can't depend on God. You have too much wealth to depend on God. It's getting in the way. Your things are getting in the way of you depending on God, of you seeing him for sustenance, of you asking him to meet your needs every day. But you know what? I know how you can get that if you sell everything and you give it to the poor, they'll be blessed because they've been praying for someone to meet their needs, for God to meet their needs. I can actually meet their needs through you giving your stuff away. But you might actually be blessed for it anyway. You're going to have treasure in heaven. Some of it might come back to you before earth. I'm not promising that, but you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me because now you've experienced salvation. Not something we earn. It's given in response This giving away of stuff is given in response of salvation. That's what happened to Zacchaeus in Luke. He gives away his stuff. He experiences this encounter with Jesus. He gives away his stuff, and Jesus says, Salvation has come to this house. Like, past tense, it's already happened. Not because Zacchaeus gave it away, he's now saved. But because he was saved... He gave it away because he realized that money didn't have any power over him now. It was just money. It was now a tool to be used for good and God's kingdom. And you're going to hear in a few minutes how we are putting together a budget for our church that will cause us to depend on God like maybe we've never depended on him before. And yet, we'll be giving more to the poor giving more away than maybe we ever have before. I think we're asking God as a leadership team to experience his salvation, to really follow Jesus. And in that, we'll be blessed. But it's difficult. And we're all tempted to trust in wealth instead of trusting in God that's why Jesus gives this challenge and his story is our story I think the third question as we wrap up is how do you respond how do you respond today to this invitation to experience the kingdom because if I were listening if I were in your seat I'd say that's extreme are you really saying that Well, I'm saying that Jesus is saying that, and it is extreme, but praise God it's extreme because that's exactly what Jesus did in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake and mine, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's through his good news, it's through the grace of God that Having all these riches, he gives them all away, including his life, that we might have salvation, that we might be saved, that we can experience a love relationship with God, an unconditional standing with him. It is extreme, and it's very, very good. It's not something we can earn. It's not something that we can buy. It's only something we can receive like a little child with open hands. Author and former pastor Rob Bell tells a story about when his kids were young their family went to the beach and as the boys were running down back and forth on the beach, they were finding all these seashells, and they were picking them up and showing them to their parents, except they weren't really like full shells. They were still beautiful in their own right, but they were like little shell fragments, little bits, and so they were picking these up and picking these up, and and shell collecting is like the second most popular hobby as, you know, second to postage stamps, so they were just grabbing everything they could. You probably didn't need to know that. Anyway, as they run along the beach, all of a sudden they stop and they see something like 30 feet from shore. And as they pause and as they look, they realize that it's this huge starfish just bobbing in the water. And the older boy, and you know, he's like five or six at the time, he gets this like glint in his eye and he looks at his dad and he looks out there and he runs into the water and he gets about to his knees and he looks out at it and then he looks back and then he runs back and he's fresh, like, mm. and his parents are like, go get it. You got it. You could swim. And he runs back out. He goes up to his waist and he's looking and he's, he's getting more agitated. And then he runs back in. No, buddy, you got this. Go ahead. What's the matter? Oh, mm, I can't do it go, go, yo, it's your starfish. So he runs out and he gets up to his chest. He's like 10 feet from the starfish. And he's so agitated. You can just see his face. It's like he's either going to shout or swear or cry. And he runs back and he's on the shore. And he's like, I can't do it. And they're like, no, buddy, you can do this. You got this. I can't do it. Why can't you do it? Because my hands are filled with shells. So many of us are holding these little bits of shell fragments and we're asking God to bless us or we're wondering why we're not experiencing more of God. Because we've got to let go. We've got to let go of the little shell fragments if we actually want to experience him. So you have the courage to open your hands. To receive God's love. To receive his blessing like a child. To be changed in a way that you can never imagine. Matthew's going to come up. We're going to close in a response, song, and offering. So I encourage you and invite you to take that connection card that you may not have had a chance to do anything with yet and look on the back and maybe you need to respond in a way that says, I need to give God money or I need to give him time or I need to give him, I need to let go of this possession. Whatever you need to do, take time to listen to God. For those of you who give online, thank you for investing. You'll hear in just a few minutes about how that makes a difference in our church. As the offering bags come by, you can put a check in. You can also put that connection card in. You can let that bag pass you by, but don't let the chance to respond to God today pass you by. Would you pray with me? Father, would you give us the courage to open our hands? God, we want to receive your love and receive your blessing, but God, we admit that it's hard because it feels like you're saying sell everything. But God, thank you for showing us what it means to trust you. And I pray that we would trust you with our things, that we would trust you with our lives, because they're so much more important than our things. God, would you speak to us about what we hold as wealth? Maybe it's a relationship or a job or money or even our future. And God, would we let you hold it because you can do far more with it than we can. Help us to see what treasure in heaven is like. In your name, amen.